Being O-Line Media presents The History of Being Black. Welcome to another episode of The History of Being Black. I am Eunice Elliott. Each episode on The History of Being Black, I get a chance to eat and visit, sometimes with old friends, sometimes with new friends, but either way, it's someone that's going to offer all of our listeners, and myself included, uh, an interesting perspective, their insights into the world, and of course, a lot of it involves being Black. Today's guest is a friend of the program. He's been with us before. Really excited to have him back to talk about his new book. I am talking about the one and only Gary Burley. Welcome back to the History of Being Black, Gary. Thank you so much, guys. So your book, uh, you wrote it with Ralph Brooks and Valencia Bell, uh, Glory, the Struggle for Yards. You are a former NFL player, so I kind of have an idea of what the book might be about, but give me what this book is about and why you felt compelled to write it. Well, um, the book is about the history of the first African-Americans in the National Football League. The first ones to sign contracts. And it goes on to tell the story leading up to the day. So there'll be several versions of the book, but this is the first one. And the, the unique thing about this book, not only uh, it tells the, story, the history of the first African-Americans, Valencia Bell teaches so, um, SAT, ACT. So the kids can learn, kids and their parents can learn, what does it take to get my kid that's a great athlete into college and stay there once they get there. So it's a, it's a well-rounded book. And so what, what made you want to be involved? I mean, there's so many hundreds and thousands of NFL players and former NFL players. Why Gary Burley is this a project that you were able to attach your heart to? Well, it, it all started, you know, from the day that I figured out I wanted to play in the pros. And uh, my uncle took me to a football game, the Cleveland Browns against the Minnesota Vikings. For the first half of the game, the Minnesota Vikings defensive line, the Purple People Eaters, held Cleveland to nothing, zero yards, nothing. So I learned right then and there. I, I told my uncle, I said, that's what I want to do. So I started playing football, and I learned the basic fundamentals and ended up going to college, getting the a, 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 a education, and learning how to uh, play in the National Football League. And I finally ended up getting to the National Football League. Okay, but I feel like there's a lot I feel like you ain't told us. Because if you say, oh, yeah. I went to a game, and I said, I want to do that, uh, most little boys watch football and say, I want to do that. So it took a lot more than you just learning how to play football, going to college, and going to the NFL. Yeah, it, it was a long pro process now. Don't get me wrong. I didn't, I didn't just do it overnight, but it got to a point where, you know, once you – Jim Brown was our guy back in the day, mm -hmm. and everybody in my neighborhood had a number 32 jersey. Whether you were playing defense or offense, you were number 32. Mm -hmm. And I learned how to play the game, and I and always gravitated toward uh, being more successful – by learning more about it. So what I mean by that is I started learning the history of football and I never knew about the African-American. I mean, I knew that there were blacks in the National Football League, but we didn't know anything about their history. So when, once you see that, you keep doing, digging for, you dig for um, any information that will educate you on that. So I did that. And when I got sick, I told you, um, I got sick before, and the day that I was um, diagnosed with cancer, 
a good friend of mine called me up on the phone out of the sky blue and asked me to work with him on developing an, an exhibit that would showcase the history of the first African-Americans in the National Football League. Right. So we went on and he passed away and we decided to do the book. So that's how all this got started. So you mentioned Jim Brown and everybody wanted to be 32. <laughs> you went to college with a, a famous 33, right? Oh my God. You when, when you hear, when you see Tony and you don't know him, it's, it's amazing. But when you're there and watch the progression of this young kid, young 155 pound kid, that outruns everybody. Now, it's, wait, but wait, Gary, our listeners, we're not on first name basis with Tony Dorsett like that. So you can't just say Tony. You have to say Tony Dorsett for us. Okay. okay. <laughs> Tony Dorsett was the most amazing athlete that I've ever seen in my life. And I saw him, we were running 40 yard dashes one day and we we're on the sideline. And this kid came up there, like I said, 155 pounds. He had on a pair of high top Chuck Taylor tennis shoes running on AstroTurf. And he ran a 4.340. And that is amazing. And after that, I said to myself, this guy's going to be amazing. And he was. And we watched him progress from that guy in those high top tennis shoes to a Hall of Famer, Heisman Trophy, everything. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it's just amazing. So I've been able to know, get to know the door sets a little bit, obviously n- not during that time, but um, I worked with his son, Anthony Dorsett Jr. Oh, yeah. And um, at the time that I became friends with, I actually was Anthony Dorsett Jr.'s publicist for a while. And at the time that, you know, of course I know his dad is Tony Dorsett. I really never made the connection until one time I went to Dallas and I got to meet his dad. And in that moment, it wasn't his dad. It was, oh my gosh, that's Tony Dorsett, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so it is an experience for folks who didn't see him grow up. But even in the context of your book, uh, Glory, The Struggle for Yards and talking about some of the first contracts, obviously that was before Tony Dorsett and your era in the league. But I remember learning more about Tony Dorsett's career through my friendship and some projects we were working on that even back then he was a superstar, but the dollars and the contracts were nowhere near what the dollars and the contracts are now. Oh, can you imagine how much he would be making right now if he was a player? Right. I mean, if a guy can can get a few quarterback sacks and make $30 million, what would a guy like Tony make? I can't, I can't even think about, you know, how much money he would be worth today. So how does that, how does that translate for a former NFL player and how all of you are seeing the the money that the athletes are getting now? And, you know, obviously technology is better. Equipment is, is better and safer. You guys really were putting a lot more physically on the line just because technology had been developed, whether it's, you know, helmet um, safety or things like that. Is there any resentment or is it just, that's just the way life goes? You know, the next generation will have it better than the previous generation? Well, you know, I look at it like this. You know, this is just me. I don't, I, I can't speak for other former players, but I look at it as we were just pioneers for what's going on today. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I like, I like to think of the fact that guys appreciate what guys before them did to help them get there. But, you know, there's no resentment, you know, because it's just progression. You know, that's what happens. We were just born too late or too early. 
I imagine y'all sit around the barbecue grill and talk trash about these young ones who be on the injured reserve list every year. <laughs> that's my that's my imagination of you guys and looking at the younger athletes now, like, oh, in my day. <laughs> well, we do that. We do do that now. Don't, I, don't get me wrong. There is there is a lot of that. You know, because, walking around, what is it? Is it running lot or Jerry rights? I don't know. Folks cutting their fingers off to go back out <laughs> and play and stuff. You know, like they don't do that no more. <laughs> no, and I didn't do that back then. So <laughs> there's not there's not any finger cutting going on here. But, there... but you know, guys, guys um, appreciate um, the pro the progress that uh, the, the athletes of today are making. Mm -hmm. It's like the like likeness and image thing. A lot of guys are upset about that, but I mean, that's just the progression of the game. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there was always going to come a time where guys are going to have to get compensated for what they're bringing in. Once you can pay coaches millions of dollars and universities are making millions of dollars and, and a guy's getting a scholarship, and, you know, I mean, it's just you just have to figure something out. And hopefully this name and likeness deals that they're doing now, uh, it doesn't affect the school in any kind of way. And it puts some money in these guys' pockets. And hopefully they have the right type of accountants and people that can help them manage this money because, you know, what it's like when you're 18, 19 years old and, and you get fifty, hundred dollars uh -huh. back in the day. Now you got 50,000 right. plus, you know, right. so. So what you're referring to when you say likeness and image is this proposal that college athletes can now get paid as people purchase their jerseys and everything as amateur athletes, which has never been the case before. Correct. So you're all for it. I'm all for it because, like I said, you know, uh, people have been making money off athletes for so long. And the only argument that they say is they're amateurs. Well, I mean, the, the monies that they're making are not amateur money. They're making millions of dollars. And it's time that we figured out a way to, to share that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, and my thinking of it is from being, I went to the University of Alabama where, of course, football. Oh, yeah. And so um, what's interesting is the University of Alabama, I've gone back with former clients that played there. It's a very different university for a former football player than it is for someone who still has student loans. <laughs> it's a very different experience. The campus looks different. You see different rooms and, and it's a special thing, but it is this thing where, um, you know, they don't have the availability to get jobs like so-called regular college students can get jobs that just have money. And, you know, that then lends itself to the nefarious nature of agents who come in recruiting and start, you know, slipping the money or giving dad a job and all the different things that, that happen to, to try to pad this process of them being amateurs. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, so was there anything, as you mentioned, the, the, the college situation possibly moving, moving towards that way, and then even the contracts that the professional athletes are getting, was there anything that you learned in your research for your book, Glory, The Struggle for Yards, that you were surprised about, about some of the first African-Americans in the NFL? Was there anything that you learned? You're like, wow, I cannot believe that was what was going on with them. Eunice, I tell you what, there's so much stuff that I learned. I mean, some of those guys were making like $50 a day. Wow. You know, that to me is just like, looks where, where it came from, from $50 a day to 30 million. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just, it just amazes me. But I learned so much from, from reading about what these guys went through just to get here. I mean, they couldn't vote in some of those times. Wow. They couldn't do anything and they weren't allowed to play football. So 
you know, we came a long way till now. And I just want guys to be able to appreciate what the guys that came before us did. And that's what this book is all about. It teaches you exactly what it took for you to get that paycheck that you're getting now, for you to get that education that you're getting now. And football giving you the opportunities that guys are getting today. So you having this unique perspective and viewpoint from having done the research, having worked on this book, when you talk about the guys today and being able to, for them to have an appreciation and respect for what was done before or what people had to suffer through before, talk to me about where we are today with athletes. I mean, obviously athlete, athletics, um, professional sports, athletes as personalities, multimillionaires, um, it's different than a time that it's never been before. But as far as like the social justice and now even with social media, how so many athletes are more vocal about different things. Um, what do you think about where athletes are right now? Well, I, I think it's a good thing that they're getting involved with all the causes that are out there now. Before, guys wouldn't speak about racism. They wouldn't speak about this. They wouldn't speak about that. And now they're wide open for it with social media and, and also by vocalizing. And I, I just applaud these guys for using that, that professional sports platform to get the word out there. Because people listen to an athlete, no matter if they like what they say or not, his word is going to get listened to. Well, when you say whether they like what he says or not, when you get the whole shut up and dribble, that's obviously a not liking. It still brings attention to it, right? Exactly. Um, and so that's what's curious. Why do you think it is... Um, at least in my experience in being adjacent to athletes and working with athletes, a lot of times athletes are considered, you know, the, the, the trope of being dumb jocks or not well-informed. You obviously are an educated, well-informed, well-read, well-researched athlete. But I often would kind of defend when people would try to offer that assessment because I would say, you know, most people in order to be successful in their jobs don't have to outthink another person and be better at their job every play in public. Just the, the, the daily grind of the mental anguish of being an athlete. Talk to me about what it takes mentally to be an athlete and then also what you can imagine it would have taken to be an athlete back during those first early years when African-Americans first got into the league. Well, I couldn't imagine what it was like for those guys. Just think about this. You couldn't vote. You couldn't walk down the street. You couldn't look a person dead in their eye and expect to be respected. And those guys fought through all that and still had the goal, the dream of playing football. And they were just so focused. I, you know, I, I don't know if I could have did it. Mm -hmm. If somebody would have called me out of my name, the N-word or whatever, I don't know how I would have handled that back in those days. But my, my hat is off to everybody that started and stayed with it because they learned a valuable lesson through their sports and through their, you know, whoever taught them to be that way. And guys, I mean, today, people just need to know about that because if they knew what their forefathers and former guys in the league went through, so you could just play every day. You could get up every morning and go play. And, and, and here it is what they had to go through, the shaming, the yeah. killing, the, you know, I mean, some guys were actually killed, you know, and it's just crazy. And we're talking about sports and specifically in the NFL and football, but you know, that's just a microcosm of what the country has been, you know? So I think it's something for all of us to take pause for that. We probably don't think about 
daily as much as we should, all of the freedoms and rights and privileges that we have that, you know, I can get in my car right now and I feel safe that I could drive to the store and that I can walk in the door. And, you know, in theory, I don't know if you watch social media videos, you know, somebody's going to start screaming at you or breathing on you. guy <laughs> <laughs> crazy again. So when you say you can't imagine what they may have been going through in that time. I'm curious about if you you sharing the memory of going to that uh, Vikings Browns game with your uncle and saying, I want to do that. Tell me, do you remember your first thought when you ran out on the field the first time as an NFL player? I do, I, because my that same uncle was in the stands. Oh, wow. And I walked over to him and handed him a football. Sweet. And uh, I just told him, thanks, man, for taking me to that game all those years ago. It's an honor, first of all, to be in the National Football League and to learn the things from the people that I that I learned from. You know, my my uh, first NFL coach was Paul Brown. He was the innovator of the game. Mm -hmm. He invented the face mask, you know, so that tells you how far he goes back. But he told me one thing uh, when I first got into the league Uh, right before my first game. He said he said, Gary Burley, he said the Pittsburgh flash. That's what he used to call me. And he said, you know, you have to cultivate every relationship that you can that's going to help you extend your career, not only in football, but in life after you get off. He said, because if you don't pay attention to people while you're playing, once you get done, they'll be the presidents of this company and that company, and they won't know you. Mm -hmm. So I made sure that I learned from him and I took his advice. And I cultivate a relationship after relationship. You know, all you have to do is just, you know, ask somebody, look, I, this is what I'm doing. You know, I, could I have your advice? I request your advice. Tell me how I get from loading dock to boardroom. Mm-hmm. Give me some lessons. Teach me. And that's how I started. And once I learned that, you know, it, you just duplicate that in anything you want to put it in. And that's what I tell my kids in Pro Start. You know, you have got to meet people, you got to learn to talk to people, and and you need professional instruction. And that comes from your mom and dad. That comes from anybody that can teach you how to get to the next level. Okay, you mentioned ProStart. We've talked about ProStart on a previous uh, episode. Tell me about what ProStart is and what inspired you to um, create this organization. Well, uh, ProStart is an academic and a football academy. And what we do We're all retired NFL players, and we teach the basic fundamentals of the sport, but the other professionals on the other side teach academics, education, and how to get in college and stay there once they get there. And then the final spot on the the agenda is we bring in some of the top CEOs of companies and have them talk to the kids about what did they do on their journey to get from the loading dock to the boardroom. And once you're 12 years old and you start hearing this, and if you continue to do it year after year. By the time you get to an age where um, you can kind of uh, focus on what you want to do, then you've got a plan. you got a backup plan. And that's what we teach. So the majority of our listeners of the history of being Black, and this is just a complete assumption and generalization, but they probably are not former professional athletes. I'm taking a wild guess. So as a former professional athlete, at the end of every episode, we always, always ask our guests to offer our listeners to something to be the change. What is something that has served you as a collegiate and professional athlete, a life lesson or something that we can activate as 
non-athletic people <laughs> that you think would transfer in us being uh, more productive and, a, and a, a greater gift to our communities? If you could think of something that translate from sports to regular non-athletic people such as myself. God mm. and focus. Okay. Learn how to focus, learn how to not quit. You know, no matter what happens, you don't quit. You may get tired. You may get weary. Uh, people are going to tell you, you can't do this. People told me that I couldn't play pro football. I told them, no, I think I can. But I'm not going to listen to what other people say about me because nobody knows what's inside of you. So you have to show them and maybe teach them how to get to the next level. And that's the way you do it. Praying and focusing and, 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 and putting your mind into a position where nothing's going to stop you. Nothing. And that's the way I got here. I love that. I do believe that's a, that that is a different mindset that athletes have because Athletes play hurt, they play tired, they play injured, they play depleted. And for us, I'm like, uh-uh, I got a hang nail. I need to go get a help and take a nap. And so I think that mindset of staying focused on the goal, you know, staying focused on the process, you know, staying on the field for 60 minutes, you know, all those ideas, but they all are rooted in staying focused and not quitting. So I love that. So listeners, yeah, I'm assuming y'all not athletic and that's just me assuming I'm speaking for myself. Okay. But hashtag be the change. Don't quit, pray and focus. We received exactly. it from Gary Burley. So now tell me um, again about some of the programming for pro start and how we can support once we hear this episode, how can we look into supporting pro start Academy? Well, I, I need support in developing this scholarship. And if somebody wants to donate to miles, that'd be great. You know, $5 here, $5 there, whatever. But buy the book. Help a student athlete if you can. Buy the book. The book is Glory, the Struggle for Yards. I have one of the authors, Gary Burley, has been joining us and is a friend of the show, also written by Ralph Brooks and Valencia Bell. Gary, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I've been able to interview you and get to know you over the years for different reasons and different seasons, but it's always a joy. So I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Well, the pleasure was all mine, and thank you, and Ken, and if there's anything I can ever do for you guys, don't hesitate to call. I appreciate that, and as far as the listeners, you got your directives from Gary Burley, okay? If he was coached by the man that invented the face mask, I say that's an endorsement enough for me. Now, I don't know if that's Gary's way of saying he's 115 years old. How long <laughs> has the face mask not been around? Did, did I miss something? <laughs> that's when they were playing in the leather helmets, right? And just the trap. <laughs> All right. Thank y'all so much for listening to another episode of The History of Being Black. And until next time, take care of yourselves. The History of Being Black podcast is hosted and produced by Eunice Elliott. Associate producer, Ariel Mancibo. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find The History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. And on IG and Twitter at History of Being Black. The History of Being Black podcast is a mean old lion media production.